the top performing salespeople and leaders you're looking to hire for your team aren't looking for a job right now. They are totally content crushing their numbers for somebody else. The folks at Peak Sales Recruiting will identify those amazing candidates and help them understand why they'd be happier working for you than for somebody else. Visit PeakSalesRecruiting.com slash Ian to learn more. Hey, it's Ian Altman. There are a few people I know who know more about customer experience than Joey Coleman. In fact, it turns out there's nobody I know who knows more about customer experience and keeping your best customers than Joey Coleman. And his brand new book, Never Leave a Customer Again, is a great model for that. We're going to talk about the greatest misconception when it comes to losing customers. We're going to talk about different things that you can do in social media and in person to create that lasting experience for customers and the specific things you can do to earn referrals and drive repeat business. You're going to learn a ton and have a great time with Joey Coleman. My good friend, Joey Coleman, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ian. Super excited to be back. Always a pleasure to get a chance to connect with you for any conversation and a little fun to be able to share those conversations with your listeners as well. So what I would love is for you to share something surprising about you that our listeners may not know. Something surprising about me that the listeners may not know. Um, I appreciate the caveat that the listeners may not know because you know most things about me. Uh, but let's say this. In the, in the last 14 days, I have found myself crisscrossing the country on airplanes, which is probably not a big surprise. But on one of those stops, I found myself with a bucket of water standing on the back of a boat that was rocking along on the waves in the Bahamas as I poured bucket full of bucket full of water over a 10-foot-long reef shark to keep it hydrated while we were doing shark tagging. Wow. Does that count? Is that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's not a lot of people know. By the way, I know you really well, and that's surprising. <laughs> Good. <laughs> that, that was the goal. The goal was to come up with something that you were like, wait, I haven't even heard that story Exactly. And, so, there you go. And we know each other pretty well. We know each other well. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So I like doing wild and crazy things and having really fun experiences because the nature of my business and my career is all around customer experience. So I try to be a customer of unique experiences myself so I can shamelessly borrow and uh, model folks that are doing an incredible job at creating remarkable experiences. And it's something that you are so gifted at doing. In fact, for those of you who haven't seen Joey speak about his latest book that we're talking about today, which is Never Lose a Customer Again, um, I had the pleasure of seeing you speak a couple days ago and just you had everybody sitting on the edge of their seat, which is funny because I had the one of the agents at a speaker bureau I work with attend specifically to see you. And he said, you know, I thought like customer experience stuff and customer service wouldn't be that interesting. And that was awesome. I said, that's why I had you here. So um, it, it was fantastic. So glad. Well, it was, it's my pleasure. I, lo I love speaking about it. I love helping people create better experiences for their customers because I believe that uh, the bar for customer experience on the planet is lying on the ground. And if I can start to get one company to do better, it forces all their competitors in that industry to do better. It forces everyone, whoever interacts with them, to do better. Uh, and suddenly all st boats start to rise together. And so it becomes kind 
kind of a, a catalyzing effect that ideally snowballs into better experiences for all of us whenever we're dealing with a product or service. And of course, as forward thinking as my audience is, they may see that also. And some of them may just be thinking, well, how can I have an advantage over my competitors? So in the spirit of that, what's the greatest misconception that you see that people have when it comes to losing customers? I think the greatest misconception people have is that the customers are going to leave in a flurry of anger and frustration, right? That it's going to be something horrible is going to happen. And then that customer is going to be, you know, of the mindset of that's it. I'm out of here. I'm never going to be a customer again. And they run away and they say bad things about you and they're gone. What is more likely is that the if, have you ever had that experience either yourself or seen it with a little kid where they're holding a balloon and they lose track of the balloon and the balloon just drifts away and you can see it and it's getting further away and it's not moving that fast, but it's out of reach. It's out of your grasp. You can't get it. That's how most customers leave. They just float away. Granted, I'm sure there are situations where we totally mess up. We piss somebody off and they say, that's it. I'm out of here. But in most cases, there wasn't some dramatic episode that happened that all of a sudden people left. I think back to I had a personal insurance uh, company we worked with for our home and auto and that kind of stuff. And it had been five years since I had heard from this agent. Let me just interject if I may in. Were you paying your premiums every month? Exactly. So, oh, so so he had heard from you exactly. every month. Exactly. But you hadn't heard from him in five years. Great, great, great customer five years. service. I, I great customer experience, people. Yeah, I, I switched providers. Right. And I switched, switched to another insurance agent who was very proactive with me. And then the other guy says, well, man, I haven't heard from you in forever. Why would you leave? <laughs> and I thought – you just answered your own question. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, it's amazing. I mean, I this stuff isn't rocket science. It really isn't. And and you know, in many ways the premise of my work, the premise of my speeches, the premise of my uh book is that all you really have to do is recognize that your customers are human beings too, and they're actually very similar to you. They want to feel appreciated. They want to feel important. They want to feel taken care of. And if you can do those things, they will stay. It's really that simple. You know, everybody always wants to know, oh, Joey, what are, what are the 17 things that I must do tomorrow to make them stay? And I'm like, well, are, are, you, are you talking to them? Well, no, but like when it comes time to talk to my customers, what are the things I was – how about you just start having a conversation? <laughs> how about you just be in touch? Pick up the phone. Give them a call. Send them an email that's not a form email, that's not the standard email, but instead is an email that basically says, hey, just wanted to let you know I appreciate your business. I know that we could be doing an even better job than we are, and I would love your ideas, insights, suggestions on how we could do that. What do you think? And most people are going to be like, oh, sure, I'm happy, I'm happy to tell you what, what you could do better. You know, We just got to give folks the avenue uh, to tell us how they want to be treated. And then listen to that and then do it. <laughs> I want to get your insight into this, which is so many times in business, what I see people do is they have a concerted effort that says, wow, here are all these clients that we currently have. And so we're going to have a campaign for everyone to reach out to these customers, but it's not to genuinely connect. There's usually some ulterior motive for why they're reaching out. 
Yeah, it's usually an upsell yeah. or the launch of a new product or to get them to spend more money. Yeah, it, it definitely has an ulterior motive. And so why does that backfire? Because those clients, like you, can smell a veiled threat, right? <laughs> they, they, can, they can sense when they're about to be preyed upon. And so the, you, know, you, you can't it, – it's, it's incredibly difficult, if not impossible – to fake a personal and emotional connection with someone. Uh, you know, you it requires, you know, what we're really called upon to do, I think, especially when dealing with our existing clients, is to have a good understanding of who they are, have a good understanding of what they want, what they need, and to be in regular communication with them about that. You know, you and I sometimes will joke about social media because uh, listeners, in the interest of full disclosure, Ian is much bigger on social media than I am or probably ever will be. Um, but I don't I, I have a contrarian view on social media. I believe that social media is the ultimate listening tool. I do not believe that its primary use should be for broadcasting. I do think you want to do status updates and tweets and things like that from time to time. But I think the better use of your time on social media is reading about your customers, seeing what they're talking about, posting about, sharing, and then using that information to have conversations with them about the things that are meaningful to them as opposed to always trying to get them to have the conversation that's meaningful to you. So let me ask you this, Joey. When you were writing this book, when you're writing this and saying, okay, never lose a customer again, what's the most surprising thing that you discovered through your research and through the process that kind of struck you as, wow, that's really interesting? I think the thing that really surprised me was that you can d create I, – I, let, me, let me rephrase this. I believed that this was probably true, and then the research proved it out, right? So I, I tried to come at this a little bit like a scientist, right? I had a hypothesis. We tested it. We did some research, and we found, oh, yes, indeed, it's true, and it works all the time. And that hypothesis was that remarkable customer experiences can be created by a company of any size, that it's not about the dollars you spend. It's about the intention that goes behind your effort. And that it can be done in a personal and meaningful way at scale. What I mean by that is it's really easy when you're first starting your business and you have three clients to create remarkable experiences for them, right? Because you have a lot of spare time uh, in your day. It gets more difficult when you have 100 clients or 1,000 clients or 10,000 clients. I worked with a company not too long ago that brought on 500 new customers per day. And when you think about the scale of that and the magnitude, it's, well, how do you do personal connections at that scale? And it can be done. It just requires creative thinking. So how, how do they do that? If you're bringing on 500 new customers a day, there's a lot of people would say, well, it's impossible. You can't have a personal connection if you're doing that kind of volume. It won't scale. You just have to, have to accept that it's going to be impersonal. Why is that wrong? And how do you fix that? Yeah, so what this particular company did is as part of their sales intake process, they figured out some creative ways to ask these customers in an online setting, you know, via surveys and phone calls and things like that, to share what their big desires or their big goals are with this product. They were the it was selling a product online and like what did they hope to do with it? They then took that information 
associated it with the customer record and the customer account. And then every day, they have a group of 10 uh, stay-at-home moms. And every morning, each of those stay-at-home moms gets an email with a list of 50 names with one or two sentences about each person that, by the way, came from that intake survey. And they proceed to write handwritten thank you notes thanking them for becoming a customer. Now, the company sends these stay-at-home moms the stationery and the stamps and the envelopes, so they have everything they need. They get you know, the list that includes the address, so everything is hand-addressed and written. And these moms crank out 50 thank you notes per day while their kids are at school. And they do it five days a week. And the moms make some money and are super excited, and they feel like they can do something fun because they're writing these thoughtful, personal thank you notes. And as you might imagine, when buying a product online, when that customer receives a handwritten thank you note from a real live person, where it's clear the nature of the way the note is written, that it's not a standardized note that goes to everyone, it creates an instant raving fan. Because they're like, oh my gosh, this is unlike any experience I've ever had. And the economics of it are pretty simple because it costs – it ends up costing them less than a dollar per customer for the stamp and the envelope and the thank you note. And on average, it ends up costing them less than $2 per note to have the stay-at-home mom write the note. So for $3 per customer, less than $3 per customer, they get this amazing, remarkable first touch point, first interaction that arrives uh, often either right before or just after the customer receives the actual product in the mail, and they feel appreciated. There's no upsell. There's no coupon for another order. There's no, hey, if you like this product, you should try this one. There's nothing like that. It's just a genuine thank you. And the thing is that they're making it so it's genuine. It's an authentic experience with the company. And my guess is the people who are buying that product likely are getting that same experience from zero of their other vendors. Correct. Correct. Let alone their online vendors who they've never met the person. They, they bought something on Amazon. Yep. type scenario, right? So it's a tiny little thing. This is, by the way, a company that has on their initial product they sell about a, uh, give or take, 40 to $50 profit margin. Okay. So to peel out what is less than 10% of their profits on sale number one, to basically guarantee that that customer repurchases that product at least once more, if not two or three more times, if not ongoing for many years, is a super easy return on investment calculus. I'm sure that there are people listening right now saying, yeah, but you know what? I can't afford to do that. I mean, we don't, we don't have enough margin. You know, everything is so price sensitive and, you know, so I can't really invest in that. So what does some of your research tell us? about what happens if you don't invest in that sort of thing. Well, you know, and and anybody that has listened to your show knows that price sensitivity is just kind of a, a funny little topic <laughs> that isn't real. So let's let's just say that first for your loyal listeners who are like, don't be baited by the phrase price sensitivity, Joey. Ian will eat you alive. I know Ian well enough to know that that is the true. Um, couple interesting statistics. Number one, regardless of your industry, 
regardless of where you operate on the planet. I've studied hundreds of companies in every industry imaginable all over the planet. Somewhere between 20 and 70% of your new customers will leave before the 100-day anniversary because they don't feel the love. They don't feel taken care of. They aren't properly onboarded. They aren't properly you know, brought into the fold and treated like the family member or the trusted customer that all of your marketing and salespeople are, tell them they're going to be treated like. Sure. That's number one. Number two, and you know these statistics even better than I do, but in the world of marketing and sales, if you look at the likelihood of convincing a prospect to become a customer and you take the averages across all industries globally, you add them together, you find out that on average, if you are dealing with a brand new prospect, you have somewhere between a 5 and 20% chance of convincing them to become a customer. Now, those are kind of, again, your industry may be higher, it may be lower. That's the aggregate of all marketing and sales activity on the planet. When you are trying to convert an existing customer to do more business with you, that number goes to 60 to 70% likelihood. So it is dramatically, dramatically easier to convince someone who's already a customer to do business with you than to go chase down a new customer. The last statistic I'll give you that was in many ways one of the most shocking ones for me. If you go on Amazon and you search under books the word marketing and you write down the number that comes up and you search the word sales and you write down the number that comes up and you add those two numbers together and then you do a new search for customer service and then a, and write down that number customer experience customer retention customer relationship management um you know remarkable experience service every phrase variation on a phrase keyword that you can come up with to deal with life after the sale and you look at all the books that have been written on those topics and you add all those numbers together and then you compare the number of sales and marketing books to the number of post sale books the ratio is 43 to 1. Wow. So when, if you're sitting thinking, oh, but Joey, you know, we, we already do a lot around customer service and customer experience and you know, our competitors do this stuff. No, they actually don't. Your ability to stand out by creating a remarkable customer experience is probably the greatest opportunity, the greatest opportunity for differentiation of anything that you could do in your business. Yeah, and I think it's something that's lost on a lot of people. Let me just take a quick second for our sponsors so people can hear who's really behind all this. This episode is sponsored by Peak Sales Recruiting. If you need to make a critical hire and you're tired of digging through bad resumes that don't cut it, then visit peaksalesrecruiting.com slash Ian to learn more. And we're back. Imagine that. So, Joey, we're talking about this ratio of 43 to 1 marketing and sales books versus anything related to customer service, customer experience, and that side of it. And basically this notion of the vacuum in people thinking about after the sale versus people thinking about how to get the sale. And of course, you've illustrated really well for us why it's so critical that we focus on people after the sale and that experience, just that mere number of, look, you're likely to convert 70%, 60 to 70% of existing customers do business with you and 5 to 20% of new customers. So right there, even if you take the best case 
of a new customer and the worst case of converting an existing <laughs> one, it's still three to one. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a it's a forty percent differential. It's three to one. Yeah, and and this is the thing. I'm not saying I, I want to be very clear. And you know, Ian and I are good buddies. We've been buddies for a long time. He talks about everything that happens before the sale. I talk about everything that happens after the sale. I am not here to demonize sales and marketing people at all. It's an important function. It's a really valuable function. It is in many ways the lifeblood of most businesses. What I am here to say is that I it breaks my heart to see the hard work that salespeople and marketers put in to land a client to only watch that relationship fall apart as soon as they're not involved anymore. And that's not a dig on their customer account management people. But the handoff between sales and marketing and account management, I liken to um, you know, a relay race where someone's going to hand off the baton. And for those of you that maybe watched the Olympics or watched track or ran track when you were uh, you know, kids or maybe still run track today, there's a rule that when you hand off the baton, if the baton falls and hits the track, you're disqualified. That same rule does apply and should apply to business, even though most companies don't recognize it. If that handoff isn't smooth, if that transition doesn't feel like literal handholding between the salesperson, the marketer, and the customer, and then handing off to the account manager, you will be disqualified. That customer will leave, and that will be the end of your race. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's so poignant to to illustrate that because in some cases people think, well, you know, we do a good job with our clients and that keeps them. But so much of what you teach and so much of what you talk about in this of never lose a customer again is this idea of how do we improve not only retention but referrals? Because when those people are raving fans, not only don't they leave – but they bring friends. So what have you seen in that side that people can learn from in terms of when people are over the moon thrilled with you, how they bring their friends to your business also? Well, in many ways, anybody who's in business long enough has experienced the joy of the unexpected phone call, the unexpected email, the unexpected person walking in the door of your retail establishment and saying, my friend Bob recommended I talk to you. I have a problem. He thinks you could help out. And we think to ourselves, yes, this is perfect. The, the, the prospect is primed. They're ready. They know about how I do business. They probably know what my fees are. We're going to be able to convert at a high level. And most companies actually do a really good job at converting at a high level when it comes to their referrals. Most companies also, I've yet to meet a company on the planet that doesn't want even more referrals. Even the ones that are killing it on referrals want more referrals. Here's the big secret when it comes to referrals. Most businesses ask way, way, way too early in the relationship. I believe that you cannot effectively ask for a referral until the customer has experienced and accomplished the goal that they had when they originally decided to do business with you. So if my goal, let's say, is to go to the gym and be able to bench press 300 pounds, and I join the gym and I've been a gym member for a day, 
And the owner of the gym says, Joey, who else do you know that wants to work out at our gym? I haven't experienced what I wanted to experience here. Why am I going to invite my friends to come? And as business owners, we say, oh, but then it'll build community and you'll be like a super connector and a trusted advisor. No, people don't want to waste their social capital by recommending your brand or your business unless they are 100% confident that you're going to deliver. And if you haven't delivered for them, why would they ever want to suggest that you deliver for their friends, their family, their colleagues, their clients? So I think the secret here is at the beginning of the sales process, we need to identify what they're trying to accomplish. And then we need to hold off on asking for referrals until after they accomplish that goal. Because when we do that, then they have context, they have a framework, they understand how you work, and then it's much easier for them to say, okay, this is something that we want to do. Let me tell, if if I can, do a quick analogy of how this works, okay? Imagine you go on a date with someone. And you meet them and they're they're wonderful and you go out to dinner and you have an amazing meal and the conversation is just flowing and everything is great and you're feeling like this is incredible and you're, you get them back to their house or their apartment uh, and you're saying goodnight on the doorstep and you say, look, I had an amazing time tonight. And they say, oh, I did too. And you said, great, I'd love to do this again sometime. And they said, oh, I would love that too. You say, how about next Friday? And they say, next Friday is amazing, but I don't want to wait that long. How about next Wednesday? day and you're like, awesome. This is great. Let's do it. And then you say, by the way, you mentioned over dinner that you have two roommates and I'm guessing that the roommates are of a similar age style demographic as you are. Uh, They have similar wants, similar needs, similar interests. I was hoping you could give me their phone numbers because if you've enjoyed this interaction with me, they're going to love this interaction with me. (laughs) By the way, you could be giving people ideas right now. Right? <laughs> I could be giving people ideas. But here's the thing. That is the level of insanity and ridiculousness with which most businesses approach asking for referrals. They ask way too early for the wrong type of referrals in a way that makes that customer feel unappreciated, unimportant, and unloved. And that's not the way we want to do it. All your customers have the opportunity, I believe, to go through eight phases in their customer journey. From the first moment where they learn about you and start to think, oh, might I like to do business with this company? Up till the eighth phase where they become an advocate, where they are regularly referring new business to you. The problem is most businesses try to jump from phase one to phase eight immediately. And you can't you do it. You have to walk them through the other ones. Yeah, you're not going to do it. And invariably, there's someone listening that says, oh, but Joey, this one time I had this customer and like they were barely a customer for a week and they referred one of their friends to me. Great. You got lucky. It's an anomaly. That's yeah. Awesome. It's an anomaly. It's not normally the way it works. And so if you want more referrals, you have to navigate your customers through the entire customer journey. Get them what they want. Show them that the experience is going to be even better than they ever hoped, imagined, or dreamed. And then say, is there anyone that you know that you think would like to have the same experience? But even better than that, say, who else do you know? that has the exact same problem you have, and it's driving them crazy. The formula that we map out for people with the same side quadrants is, look, you have to know what problem they're trying to solve, why they need it, how how that's impacting them, and then what success looks like. In fact, we, we coach people to ask the question, what would make this 
a high five worthy moment. What would make this after we're done implementing it something that you would say, wow, that was amazing. What does that look like? Because in most businesses, they don't know what the goal is. And so you think you've delivered a great experience. The customer doesn't. It's just because you weren't aligned with that. Exactly. And sometimes here, the crazy thing is, and you know this, Ian, sometimes the thing that they tell you is actually super easy to do and is not the big crazy thing that you want. So, you know, I was in a situation recently where I asked a similar question, you know, what would make this an amazing experience? And they said, Joey, if you responded to my emails, (laughs) it would be an amazing, remarkable experience. Now, on one hand, we might look at that and say, oh, no problem. That's easy. In that moment, I actually tried to have some empathy and I was like, wow, the last person you were dealing with on this issue wouldn't even respond to your emails. And they were like, yeah, you know, they were great in the sales process and they were Johnny on the spot calling us back. And once we signed the contract and gave them the check, they disappeared. And it took me weeks to get back in touch with them. And finally, we just had to end the project, and I lost all the money I originally paid in the deposit, and they never did anything for me. And so now we have empathy. Now we understand the pain. I'm a big believer, and you know, in some ways, uh, one of the most important things I think we can recognize in business is that everybody we are doing business with is coming to the conversation and coming to the table with baggage. What I mean by that is they are coming with the negative customer experiences that they've had in the past, not only within your industry, but within all industries. We live in a skeptical world in a skeptical time. People presume that the experience is going to be horrible. And then what do most businesses do? Live up to that expectation, right? So what we need to do early in the process is identify, well, what are they trying to accomplish? What are the challenges they've had in the past? And then work to make sure that their experience with us is markedly different from what their earlier experiences were. Brilliant stuff. I mean, in the show notes, everybody, is a link to where you can get Never Lose a Customer Again. If you have the good fortune to bring Joey in to speak to your organization, it will change your world. It's not like, oh, it'll be entertaining. I mean, I love all the different case studies you have in the book of different companies ranging from small to medium to large, different industries, so that it's not, you know, everyone can sit there and say, oh, this wouldn't apply to me. And I think you've illustrated that this applies to everybody as long as you have a pulse. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, and that's that's actually we I talk about the the book opens with a letter to the reader. And one of the, there there is actually a requirement before you read my book. And it, and if you if you don't believe this, don't even bother reading the book, buying the book. And I actually have a guarantee in the book that if you buy the book by accident, you read this and you don't believe it, you message me and I will refund your money 100%. Uh, the 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 important foundational belief I have is that we get caught up in these beliefs around, well, we're B2B or we're B2C. Or Joey, you don't understand. We sell a product or we sell a service or we sell internationally. We sell the government. You know, Everybody has the reason why they're a shiny penny and their customers are different and their world is different. And I get that and I appreciate that. However, I believe that all business is H to H. It's humans to humans. If you sell to someone who isn't a human being, my book isn't for you. But if you sell to a human being, to someone who has a pulse, these principles apply. 
as Ian said, 46 case studies in the book from solo entrepreneurs who will do less than $100,000 in revenue to multinational conglomerates who will do billions and billions of dollars of revenue and have hundreds of thousands of employees. So the it is designed to be applicable to businesses of all sizes. It's designed to tell you stories that hopefully inspire your thinking. And one of the things that was really important to me, and I had a lot of conversations with the publisher, they were like, well, you know, Joey, is this going to be a thought piece? Is this going to be a book that gets people to think differently or a book that gets them to act differently? And I said, well, why does it have to be one or the other? I think it needs to be both. I want to pull back the lens and give people a different perspective on what customer experience really is. And then I want to give them a roadmap for delivering that in their own business. Because I've seen what it does to your business when you have these systems in in place. The typical, one last statistic, because I know you're a fan of them. Um, the typical business that keeps just 5% of their customers, 5% of the customers who are going to leave, if we can keep just 5% of those, you will increase profits 25 to 100%. Those aren't Joey's statistics. Those come from Bain and Company, from research done at Harvard Business School. Uh, it's been validated in a number of studies and analysis in scenarios around the world. Just 5% more gets you 25 to 100% increase in profits. My gut instinct is that pays for the book alone itself. We should hope so. And if it doesn't, hope so. then you shouldn't buy the book. If it doesn't, we need to book. talk about your, If it doesn't, <laughs> talk to Ian about profit margin. Exactly. Exactly. So, Joey, always a pleasure to uh, to talk to you and hang out with you. What's the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? The best way for people to connect with me is on my website, which is joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a five-year-old you know somewhere. And <laughs> Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, joeycoleman.com. There's all kinds of information there about the book. There's videos. There's training. There's everything that you could ever want to know about helping you keep your customers. Brilliant. Joey, you always deliver amazing value, and this was no exception. So thanks for joining me, pal. Thanks for having me on the show, Ian. Always a pleasure. Man, there's so much great information that Joey shared. And by the way, those of you who haven't already, make sure to pick up a copy of Joey's book, Never Lose a Customer Again. You can get it on Amazon. We'll have it all in the show notes. And if you haven't already done a review of this podcast and you enjoy it, please do so. It really helps. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information that I think you can apply to your business right away. First, Remember, we think that clients just leave in a flurry, but actually they don't. They're more likely to just drift away and become indifferent. So think of your customers like you and ultimately use social media as a listening tool rather than a broadcasting tool. And on the referral side, don't ask for referrals too early. Instead, wait until they see the goal and objective, and that's a great time to ask. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover or a guest I should have on, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.